Wow, what a difference. The Talkbuster Podcast. Hi, I'm Chris Chipman. You may remember me from such podcasts as the Chipman Brothers Tangent and Creating Geeks, a parenting podcast of great responsibility. I'm here to bring you back to the late 90s, early 2000s, a time of AMRAs and clamshells, a time of late fees and VHS tapes being replaced by DVDs, a time of stale gumballs and overpriced candy. Yes, that's right. I am talking about the time of blockbuster video, the Walmart of the video rental industry, the mom and pop video store killer, the corporate big choice video store that everybody loved to hate. Blockbuster is mostly gone now. Kids today will never know the crazy Friday and Saturday nights with lines wrapped around the store to rent the next big movie. No more will regulars who are in the know arrive at 10 a.m. on Tuesdays to snatch up the new rentals that week before the weekend rush. Most of all, no longer will young movie geeks like myself have the memories I, and many others like me, made while working there. You see, under all of the corporate evil and bad practices, Blockbuster was a home, a comfort, a place where I made lifelong friends and even met my wife. It is because of these memories that I, and I'm sure many of you, have that the Talkbuster podcast was created, a place for me and others to share our memories of what once was, of the before time, of the long, long ago. I'm looking forward to see where this goes, how it evolves. Join me, won't you? Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Talkbuster podcast. As always, I'm your host, Chris Chipman, a.k.a. The Chippa. Before I get into yet another in a steady stream of very special guests I've been having lately, I'd like to thank my $15 or more a month patrons. They are Mason, Christopher Finnick, Patricia Chipman, QK Campbell Jr., Alex Peregrine, Kevin CV, Mike the Gatherer, Tyler Freshcorn, Mark Price, and collaborating online. And my newest patron, Sean Zoltek, thank you all particularly right now when um you know we're not having the greatest time in the world financially health wise and everything else that you're willing to uh drop me a couple bucks so i can keep giving you cheery happy things to uh, listen to um i hope um this show today because of a very special guest is brought to you by pop motion pictures go and check out pick it up sky in the 90s um project 88 the back to the future two quarantine remake and upcoming last blockbuster film um all of which uh i've talked with this gentleman before and we'll be talking about him more today so with that taylor morden please reintroduce yourself to the guests or the- hello yes yeah let's let's all introduce ourselves to ourselves exactly uh, yeah no hi everybody and thanks chris for having me on um i'm taylor i try to make movies and i like movies and let's talk about movies sweet so um those of you that have heard my prior two episodes with taylor um i had him on to talk about pick it up scott in the 90s on my other show shooting the shit uh given away a copy of that film um people two copies actually people love it um uh, it's great uh, I, I know that you love it too, Taylor, but it's great to have people re-remember what Scott was. A lot of people are going, oh, I listened to all of that stuff. <laughs> I need to yeah. make a new list again. Yeah, that's that's one of my favorite things about making that movie is the people, you know, the diehard fans were always going to like it, but it's the people who forgot that they love that music who we get to remind them. That's That's the best part. You know, it's great. One of the two people that won, you know, said, hey, that you've been hawk- talking about that movie a lot. It sounds interesting. I wonder what Sky is. And then she sent me a message going, oh, wait a minute. I listened to all of this. <laughs> like it, just, it just didn't yeah. click. But that's what yeah, you were talking about. Too. Yeah. It was so popular in the 90s that people didn't necessarily know what it was called. You know, it's like people who listen to Green Day, but don't know anything about punk rock music. because it's not really the same thing. And Ska had that too with Real Big Fish and the Boss Tones and No Doubt. It's just radio music. There was no need to know about the genre. And it, it integrated itself into everything. I mean, it, it was filler music between you know news broadcast segments. It was um, oh, yeah. nowadays, nowadays, a lot of children's television utilizes the, um, the r- reggae and Ska beats um, just mm-hmm. for the music for the shows because it's very upbeat and very um catchy and uh you yeah. know you you can't you you know do a kid's show with radiohead although i 
be intrigued to see that. Challenge accepted. <laughs> a good but challenge. I, um, yeah. So you you uh, have been finding ways to keep busy um, and finding ways to uh, get other people inspired to you know look at the positive side of the world we're living in right now. And so I'd like you to kind of talk first um, about Project Eighty Eight. Like, where'd that inspiration come from, and how was that process? And just because I'm I'm in love with it. I've watched it three times now because it's just like one one it's great. Two, it's weird. And three, because it's so many different levels of people with different abilities, it, it reminded me of being 14 and grabbing a camera and going and hanging up in my basement and doing like a stop motion animation for the first time and going, holy crap, I made something. Yep. You know? Yeah. And that, that feeling that you're talking about was really a big part of the driving force because, you know, people like me who work in the creative field and I, you know, I've made a few movies and I make short films. I get that feeling, you know, a couple times a year at least, having made something, even if it's just a commercial or something. But I remember what that feels like, you know, the first time you've made something and the world sees it or the first time in a long time that you've made something. So being able to have a project like this that was literally open to anybody, you know, there was no minimum skill level required no you know you didn't have to own a nice camera or have acting experience you could just participate and i think we should probably roll it back and let people know what it is uh it's yeah, support. Ba basically project 88 is a quarantine inspired fan remake of the movie back to the future part two and uh what we did is we split the movie up into 88 scenes because 88 miles per hour is how you get to travel through time in a DeLorean. Everybody knows that. Um, split it into 88 scenes and let people sign up for a specific scene and remake it however they wanted uh, with a few rules and guidelines, but basically do the best they could given the situation we're all in and everybody you know, is in a different situation, especially this was over a month ago now. So there were different levels of stay at home orders and self quarantining and things like that. So um, we wanted to do something that could let people be creative and also be a part of something bigger, which is a good thing. I think for people to be able to do in times like this is really connect with other people in that way of, yeah, I worked really hard for a week and I made a minute of this thing. But then when it was all done, we made a two hour long movie as a group. And it ended up being a group of over 300 people spread out over eight countries all over the world. But it, to me, it really reminded us all that we were, we were all going through this coronavirus thing together. And it was a, a way to connect people that wouldn't have otherwise been connected and put us all on the same playing field. You know, we no, all absolutely it, it works. As... Go ahead. Sorry. No, it's just we all had the same sort of guidelines like that's other people have done other movies like this. There's a Star Wars fan remake from 10 years ago and somebody did Shrek and Robocop. And it's not a new idea to break up a movie into scenes and let the fans remake it. Uh, what's different about this one is that we did it during a global pandemic and we limited everyone's time so that you couldn't, you know, nobody could be precious about it. Nobody could put in all this work and make it perfect. It was just, it was just this shared experience that all these people got to have and, you know, to take our minds off of the bad news that was on the TV every day. We need a little good news, I think. And it's, it's amazing. It works as such a good time capsule of, I mean, out, even outside of, of the pandemic, but in general, of the time period we're living in, because everything right now is on such a ramping up of, of nostalgia. So you catch that. It's like, well, what was going on in 2019, 2020? Well, everyone was nostalgic about movies from the 80s. Okay, so you got Back to the Future. And you've got, then you've got the part of 
parents sharing it with their children, sharing it with their pets, sharing it with their friends that may have never stood in front of a camera before and acted. So you've got that multi-generational thing going on. Then you've got inspiration of a new generation to make films. And then you've got, okay, future, a whole bunch of people were faced with, and especially at the time you were doing this, it was completely different even than it is today or even a week ago on what was going on in the world. So it's people were faced with a big void of unknown and got together and just did something fun. And in none of those segments, is there anything bleak or sad coming through? It's all people just happily doing this weird thing. And, and I love it for that. And I loved watching you post about it because it was, it was really damn inspiring. And now being able to go to the YouTube channel and see the side-by-sides of the scene they were remaking is mm-hmm. even cooler because it's like, how did you watch that and get that? Like the one that was no <laughs> R is one yeah. of the like, and a lot of them get weird. I mean, there's cats and sock puppets and you oh, know yeah. your cardboard cutout animated one, which is my favorite, just because that's probably what I would have done. But um, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, it's just so cool to see. And then and then you have language gaps and everything else, and people just interpreting it. it it's the same movie but in, inspired and interpreted through 300 different sets of eyes is, is crazy. Yeah. That's, that's definitely my favorite part of it too, is that every scene is so different from the one before it, you know, everybody, the instructions were vague enough where the things we got back really, you know, ran the gamut from just ridiculous homemade iPhone recordings of cats all the way up to, you know, really professional animations and things that are in there and professional actors, including two actors from the original movie who appear in it as cameos. It's like, so cool. it's that range. Uh, you know, there's one, I think that was made and directed by an eight year old kid. And it's, you know, it's just as valid as the one that was made by the professional animator who's been doing this for 20 years. It's all valid. It's all equal in my in my mind because that was the point it's like you could do a great job and that's great and kudos on you for making it awesome and you can do a ridiculous job but it's probably even more creative and that's awesome too right it's it's like watching an 88 film film festival you know, like, yeah. but like it um, does have that feel of like a short film festival where you never know what the next thing is going to be, but it's definitely going to be entertaining. Right. Like I even I caught myself so many times. I'm glad that I had gone and watched the movie again, like you said, because I found myself so many times going, I know what's going on here, but how did I get here? Like, right. <laughs> it, because movies are such a visual sound and um, personal experience, you know you end up getting into a sense of security with a particular visual style. So even in films that, you know, um, will do like a dream sequence as a cartoon or, you know, do some, it's intentionally set there to be jarring. And in this movie, it was both jarring and what kept it. Cause like, it doesn't matter how many times you've seen back to the future too. After a while, it's like, all right, I've seen back to the future too. And it's got its own, incredible weird things to discover but this movie it it was like watching something i loved for the first time again it reminded me a lot of when i saw the raiders of the lost ark remake um that those kids in the 80s you know it's just like wow like (laughs) you uh you just really went for it and and that's and again like you said with an artist or with a with a, a worker a lot of people aren't used to having a time constraint put on them and so you end up getting, like you said, you get someone, okay, I've never done this before, so I'm just going to blow through it and get this done. And you end up getting this crazy amount of creativity. And then someone that's used to having to pre-plan and everything is forced to be good enough. And right. you, get, you get both ends of the spectrum. And I think that's so cool. Yeah. And that, you know, the inspiration for that for me came from like the, the 48 hour and 72 hour film competitions that they run every year. Yep. And I've, I've done a bunch of those and I absolutely love it because, you know, I am the kind of person that given an infinite amount of time would spend an infinite amount of time on a project. 
it's never done until somebody says it has to be done. So having a, a deadline means it's actually going to get finished, which is a nice side effect. It's so cool. And so what, um, I mean, I, I've seen a lot of it. You shared a lot of them, but I, th- this had a very wide reach, right? P- people were, people were commenting on it everywhere. Did you, outside of the original actors that had cameos, did anyone from the back to the future team end up seeing it and reaching out to you or anything like that? Yeah, we did hear from Robert Zemeckis, who oh, was wow. the director of the original trilogy. Um, his his text response through a friend of a friend was just very cool exclamation mark. So I don't know how much of it he watched or what, you know, or if he just thinks the idea is very cool, but that's, you know, very rewarding for somebody. I, when I started putting it together, I didn't think it would reach outside of my local friend group. You know, I started by posting it to my filmmaking friends and my other creative friends on Facebook. And we got like 25 people in and I thought, well, this is going to be tough to fill all 88 scenes. And then what happened is people thought it was a fun idea. So it, it got shared and it got shared and it got shared and it wound up in some of these back to the future fan groups. And then, you know, a day later, all 88 scenes were claimed and I had a waiting list of like a hundred more people. So that amazing. it kind of blew up on me which is great. It means it got done and it means, you know, it kind of had this worldwide reach that I was never expecting when I first put it together. And like I said, it ends up being such a great time capsule and a happy memory to come out of, you know, you're going to do a search for this time period in the future. And hopefully this one sticks right out at the top of, you know, it, it, it reminds me of something I read the other day. I think it was yesterday. The guy who created black mirror said, you know what? I'm not going to work on writing season six right now because the world's too depressed. Why would I add to that? And right. And what it, could you it, write that's weirder than what's actually happening? Right. So it reminds me, though, it was like I was thinking, and I almost sent this like as a tweet out to the guy, just like, well, there's two or three Black Mirror episodes that are exceptions to the rule that are the most uplifting. Like humans can be good, and there's more to this technology than negative stuff. Um, that just blew me away and they came at the perfect time in the seasons they were in because that show is such a downer and it's like Mm -hmm. just do a whole season of that you know what I mean and that (laughs) that's one of the things this movie reminds me of is like I said before you've got you were faced with you know I mean like when this started up you're working on finishing up the last blockbuster movie getting it ready for a premiere and then Mm -hmm. all the shit hits the fan in the world it's like well I need to be creative being creative makes happy and it made 300 other people and everyone that's watched it happy too and getting getting a message from Robert Zemeckis I would imagine he watched it because he has always been a getting something done and pushing new technology out kind of a director more than releasing things that are perfect I mean look at his output for the last 10 years have been they've been experiments Right, all the right. all the motion capture stuff, um, mm-hmm. the, the walk, which was just a hey, you know, let's put something on IMAX. It'll just be an incredible story, but be more of a theme park ride than a movie. And yeah, it, yeah, really cool. So I, I would I would imagine Zemeckis sat there just l- laughing his ass off the way that you were when when I said, "Hey Taylor, did you get all the footage? How's editing going?" And you go, "Dude, this thing is so silly." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that. That, too, was really, really fun for me. Yeah, I didn't plan on making a scene myself when I started it. That came because somebody dropped out towards the end. And as people were dropping out and I'd reach out to the waiting list, I didn't want to extend it by a week because I gave everybody a week to finish their scenes. Yes, yeah, so we got these submissions in you know, three or four a day for a couple of weeks. And I was constantly surprised at the next one that came in. Right. I would get an email that would be a scene made out of bananas and I would be so excited to drop it in the timeline and see where does this fit? What's the one before it? How do they transition into each other? And that was a really fun exercise for me as an editor too, to figure out how these things all flow, which was not an easy task. No, just watching it, doing, doing, you know, everything with me is amateur, but 
doing a lot of amateur editing myself and sitting there going like, especially because some of the scenes ended like mid. So you'd like have a cut and then the cut went from being a banana to being a sock puppet. And I'd be like, wait a minute, yep. who's that supposed to be now? <laughs> or being a little yeah. kid guy or. <laughs> well, we hoped it was the cool. bananas was a little tough, but we hoped that because like Marty McFly and Doc Brown are so iconic that it yes. wouldn't matter whether it was nope. played by a little kid or a dog, you know, you would know, you know, you could kind of get an idea. Oh, the one in the yellow trench coat is always Doc yep. or the one, you know, the one in the red t-shirt is always Marty. So that's why I think this movie works and other movies might not have worked as well. You know, if it's, if it's not such, wild and outlandish characters it's really hard to track when the actors keep changing every minute no no absolutely like seeing the quarantine uh remake of 1917 might be a little difficult <laughs> yeah but at least that one only has the two main characters that's true that's true. and really just the one main character you know you could you could kind of make that movie by yourself in quarantine if you had enough uh dirt i don't know what's that movie made out of <laughs> Yeah, that there's your new challenge right there. You heard it, folks. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, no, dude. So it's it's so crazy. Like, I mean, you were sharing stuff like minute by minute. It seemed the the, the reach of this thing was crazy. Yeah the the res response after it came out has been kind of mind blowing to see like all these movie blogs and movie news resources and outlets that I could never get to cover my movies. We're talking <laughs> about this project. <laughs> and that's like, you know, double-edged sword of like, you know, you we would like to interview you for this thing that you've been reading your whole life and it's a big deal, but we only want to talk about the silly quarantine project you did. Don't yeah. talk about your movies. <laughs> like, okay. How dare you talk about anything else you're passionate about? Right. <laughs> but that's the times we live in, you know, it's really hard. Yeah, it's talking about trying to finish the last blockbuster right now and get it out. It's hard to talk about anything that isn't related to the pandemic. You know, it's yeah, and rightfully so. Like we shouldn't probably be talking about, Oh no, the black widow movie got delayed a year. That's not important. <laughs> no, as no. much as I know we need content and we need to be entertained and distracted. There are bigger things. So I'm happy that people, want to talk about project 88 and that's great but i'm also like maybe let's talk about the kinds of face masks that are the most helpful things like that so no absolutely and that there's way less of that information out there but then there's so much misinformation oh yeah even working in a job right that i have to uh, I'm, I'm essential so and it's a government oh, job man. The, yeah. the flow of information on a day-to-day -day basis it changes day to day oh so we have these new masks because you can't wear those you know what we can't get masks so everyone just go home and find what you can and make your own it's better than nothing yeah. oh god <laughs> i have a star yeah. wars mask right now with replaceable filters i love it nice i keep thinking about you know if i have to go to the grocery store just going in full like cosplay like a stormtrooper outfit or i've got a a full Ninja Turtle costume that I built that covers my whole head. So I figured that would be a good way to do it. That would be awesome. I haven't done okay. it yet because I, you just I, reminded, it's a lot of You work. just reminded me of something I didn't, I didn't get to ask you about. Um, and I, it wasn't even on my radar until I thought, no, so you were in a like local theater production of Ghostbusters? Is that correct? I, yeah, it was... Uh, this interesting thing that a filmmaker friend of mine does and they're live script readings. So I didn't have to memorize anything, but we do go in full costume and, you know, we act out the characters and we basically read the original script, which is sometimes different from the movie. Right. Uh, and it's a live kind of theater event. And I got the privilege of playing the, the Rick Moranis character in Ghostbusters. Yes. Vince Cortho, Louis Tully. Yes. Master. Yep. <laughs> that was, uh, that was a lot of fun. It was so good. I, I just, I saw you posting about that. I'm like, I have to ask Taylor about this because that seemed really cool. Yeah, it was super cool. And that's another, people always ask, 
you know, are you going to do another Project 88 or another movie? And it, it would have to be something as iconic as Ghostbusters or, you know, Batman Returns or Wayne's World or something where everybody knows the characters. So right. I think I think Ghostbusters is one of those beloved things. But even that one, it would be hard to follow because there's four Ghostbusters. If those yeah. people kept it's changing, either, it'd be really hard to know who was, was who. It reminded me of Be Kind Rewind, all the Sweden films, and they did Ghostbusters in that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. A really quick bit of Ghostbusters, but still, it, that movie was hilarious. Uh, so, spe- speaking of, you know, you can't you can't get through this without talking about the pandemic or anything. I just spoke with with Sandy yesterday, and um, yeah. you know, and, and that was awesome. I just saw her; she sent me a picture of her billboard, and yeah, um, that's so cool. Oh, it's amazing, dude! But <laughs> and, and I was telling her how that that saying. If Blockbuster had released that billboard in like 2008, they would have gotten so much crap for being like, see, it's the company that doesn't want to grow up and move on into new technology. But now it's so damn charming because it's like the world yeah. is is moving back into that. Wouldn't it be great if I just had a person I could call and talk to that would like hear what I like and tell me yeah. what movie I, I should mean, get off it? And that's what Blockbuster used to be, man. Yeah, and that's a big part of, of, like, the theme of our documentary. That's a big thing is, like, what we've lost by switching to these algorithms and these robots that don't know anything about us that, you know, are, <laughs> you watched, you know, Stranger Things, so you're going to love this other movie that you've never heard of and don't care about. And it's, you've completely lost that human touch that, <laughs> that Blockbuster is now running billboards about but that that ability to talk to somebody who knows you you know at your local video store at least for me i knew the people who worked there and when i brought back you know gremlins 2 the new batch i could be like i liked it i liked it better than the first one and they'd be like that's weird nobody likes the second one better than the first one you'd probably also like tremors 3 and i'm like yeah i would and that's (laughs) you don't get that anywhere else no, absolutely, man. It, it's a very small group of us that like Gremlins too so much, but but we're out there. <laughs> oh yeah, no, it's like Back to the Future too. I like the more absurd sequel that takes the premise that you already know and love and just goes bonkers with it. So I'm, I'm a big fan of the second movies in series. Well, that's the other great thing about about choosing Back to the Future two to do what you did is because. Back to the Future 1, yeah, it would also be just as fun to watch people remake that from a character point of view. But there's yeah. a, the imagery is so much less absurd in that movie. So getting to see people go do the, you know, we're not quite ready yet, but Zemeckis wants to use this 3D technology anyway, future stuff from Back to the Future 2. Right. It, it makes it so much more fun. Like, you, you picture a movie like um, Johnny Mnemonic or Virtuosity, right? Where, yeah. where you know... Imagine those being done the same way, not iconic enough to do it, but you'd get right. the same level of uh, people just going bonkers with how they pull off the uh, the visuals. Yeah, that was a big, a big thing for me thinking about doing the second one over the first one is that not only are there more of the iconic props and locations and things that we associate with Back to the Future, but there's all those crazy special effects that, you know, now with our cell phones, we can kind of approximate, but back then they were impossible to do and they had to invent technology. And it's like exactly that level of ingenuity, I think translates like the way they did the self-lacing shoes back then was just people pulling on strings outside of the frame. Yep. And the, the size adjusting jacket was just people with strings hiding under Michael J. Fox's legs and that stuff resonates with me as an indie filmmaker is like if you if the technology doesn't exist just figure out a way to do it and so that i think is perfect for what we were trying to do as like look robert zemeckis didn't know how to do this either when he did it so your guess is and, as good as his and and that's my favorite part of of, of watching movies you know even, even with like i said the, the amateur level of approach that i have is having had to try to figure out how to frame a shot or do an effect 
you start watching movies and it, you, you watch an indie film and you go, huh, I bet they did this X way. And right. I've had a, I've, I've had a couple situations recently where I've gotten to talk to one, one on uh, my other show. I got to talk to the guy that made hell house LLC for shutter, those three movies. And it was just amazing to hear what went into making those movies. If, if you've never seen them, they, they, they staged a horror movie that takes place in a haunted house. Oh, so, cool. so it, it's the haunted house is in a haunted building and the people did it. At, <laughs> and then something terrible happened. And then the movie's like a found footage documentary and it's it's really cool because you're using real fake haunted house props. You're never sure right. what the scary thing and what isn't, and it worked really well. Um, oh, that's a great but, idea. And so it's and the actual haunted house is a real running haunted house that now has the sign as seen in Hell House LLC. So it's like you can actually go to this place where all this awful stuff happens in this movie and go oh, through the real great. haunted house. And that was cool to just like, I, I brought up a few things with him like, Oh, did you do this this way? And he goes, Oh yeah, that clever eye, you know, cause we, you know, it's me and two other people are the entire crew. Right. Um, right. There's another one. Um, there's a movie called, um, I think it was called murder party. And it was by the, uh, um, J- Jason Solnier, the guy that made green room and blue ruin. And, Ooh, um, okay. Uh, yeah. This was like his first big, like little indie movie. And it's, it's, it's a mess. It's all over the place. It, you know, and, and even admits like tonally, it jumps from being like an, an art house indie film to being in like an evil dead level splatter fest to being this, but he's just <laughs> having fun. But the idea of the movie is a guy picks up a random letter inviting him to a thing called murder party. And he's a loner and has no friends and didn't get invited to a Halloween party and goes and like a bunch of local art students are about to try to stage a snuff film is basically the idea. And he's been, oh, the but, the opening shot of the movie is following a letter down a street that like blows into this guy's path, almost like a, the, the um, feather and forest gump kind of thing. And I uh-huh. said to him, so the letter, how'd you do it? Was it a string we couldn't see? Was it digital? Or did you just have a leaf blower in your hand walking around with the camera? He goes, no, it was the leaf blower. You got it right on the head. <laughs> like, oh, that's awesome. Oh, I love a leaf blower. We <laughs> just did some a... takes. <laughs> yeah. We just did a, a shoot, a quarantine shoot. I was working on another short film thing, and we needed an off-screen explosion to affect somebody, and we fully did the leaf blower trick. Like, whoa, look at his hair. Oh, the leaf, leaf blowers are, like, leaf blowers and, um, like, chemical sprayers to do blood spurts and things. Yes, All yes. Such wonderful indie film props. Mm-hmm. Super soakers work, too. Yes. Oh, super yeah. soakers are so good. The pump action squirt guns. Oh my it's god, pretty, it's pretty fun. I think that's more fun than if you had all the money to have like the professional. I don't even know what they use on, like, what do they use for blood on a Marvel movie? I guess they just don't oh, have it's blood. All it's all digital. Oh right, it's all digital. So they spend like a half a million dollars on blood when they could have just put it in a, like you said, a chemical sprayer and sprayed it on the people. I mean, what what happened to a good old fashioned squib, right? That was like high end technology on early '90s TV shows. Like, what, what, why can't we go back to that? Well, if people I mean, don't like them. The actors. Can you imagine, like, asking Robert Downey Jr. to put a small explosive on him? Because I mean, they are dangerous that. as hell. I mean, ex- yeah. uh, mistakes like that are what um are what killed uh, what's his name in The Crow, right? Brandon Lee. Well, that was yeah. a blank and a gun. Yeah. That, that was not really a blind. Yeah. yeah. So that's, I mean, things like that are tragic. And of course, if you can do it digitally and take out the risk, it, it makes perfect sense. But, you know, there's those of us who just can't afford that kind of special effects. We just no, got to use the leaf blower. I made, I was lighting up firecrackers next to people's heads to do gunshots on walls so i (laughs) yeah not the best plan you always think like people who made those diy horror movies look back and go that was so dangerous why did we do that oh man imagine what like um bad taste and dead alives behind the scenes would really look like Uh, level because i mean those are almost 
professional sets almost right. it was still just guys like me and you but I, like i mean they they're still alive like weta is the number two digital effects company in the world now and they were right. making you know um cutting off peter jackson's head back in 1982 right so it's you know it is what it is but uh yeah you hear those stories too like like on evil dead that they used a real chainsaw yes because you couldn't afford a rubber like what that's insane like they're running real chainsaws next to people's heads it's just scary unbelievable it even weirds me out to go to some haunted houses now where they use real chainsaws and just don't have the chain on them it's like that's still a gas engine man a gas engine can explode (laughs) especially if it's running without a load like you take the chain off and it's just spinning its wheels at crazy rpms (laughs) the world is a crazy place man um no and, and and i like you know one of the things that i think benefits any movie really benefits from trying to do something that's more difficult. And I think yeah. a, a more difficult thing that you're seeing now is the move to do things more televised. And with television comes a, you know, a compressed budget. And I was watching some behind the scenes stuff on the Mandalorian, which again, that's Disney. It's Disney and Star Wars. They, have <laughs> they do not have it. a compressed budget. Let me tell you. Right. No, they do not. But, they were talking about ways, you know, they still want to try to save money. And John Favreau being a guy that at least seems to want his movies to feel realistic, even though he has all of this stuff at his disposal. I love yeah, this. the guy who built the Iron Man suit when he didn't have to. Yeah. I love seeing some of the new cool technology. I don't know if you've seen this, but they use it on the Mandalorian. I think they used it on game of Thrones and a couple other shows. It's this concave, LED screen that yeah. they to do forced perspective, just like um, back in Richard Donner time in Superman one, where the flying scenes were just a projection behind Christopher Reeve. It's the same thing. And they can yeah. take it and put it in any location they want without having to do post-production on the effects. And I think that's an amazing level of versatility. It shines through because the Mandalorian, a lot of the stuff in that show feels better than i think some of the more recent film output of, of scenes like that because definitely because it's, it's not green screen correct. it's real it's like uh-huh. it's like rear projection but the way they do it now i yeah i have seen all that behind the scenes stuff and read the articles and they they track the camera so that the background moves the way it's supposed to right which has never been done before and that's why they can do you used to have to kind of lock off the camera or play in your camera move and have the background move accordingly. But these guys can do like handheld shots and the horizon in the distance moves in relation to the actors the way it's supposed to, which is just mind blowing. And they do, they get it in camera. You know, the LED screen is so high resolution that if they just make it out of focus enough and focus on the actors, it looks real and they don't have to add anything in post which is amazing. I love it because I, I, I'd assume for an actor, it's, it's got to be a much better experience because you can look behind you and go, reference, I know where I'm supposed to be. Exactly. They know where they're supposed to be looking. If there's a ship in the background, they look right at the ship instead of a green you know, tennis ball or whatever. Um, but and also on the Mandalorian, the- they build yeah. as much of the sets as they can. So if there's yes. a ship that they touch, it's in that room. And yeah, the reflections of the sky are fake, but the ship is real. Wasn't it so great to see an action sequence taking place with a sand crawler? Yes. I've always Uh, wanted to see that. That was so cool. (laughs) Yeah, that whole season. And I'll admit, like three or four episodes in, it started to lose me. Like it got a little, um, what's that called? Procedural, where they're just going and then wrapping up the mission. But the way they tied it all back together in the last few episodes... And like made all those episodes pay off. It was just brilliant. It is. It's it's a good case of respecting your audience and respecting the source material and doing something different. But I love um, that show and Ash versus Evil Dead, both choosing that the 30 minute more procedural episodic thing was smarter for what they were trying to do. The 30 minute procedural was a, a very smart move for them. And again, it, it's, I've said this to people before, you get a quality 
thing to it where it's, and again, yeah, in the middle, it did it, without knowing where it was going. It was kind of like, wow. Okay. So we're just doing the hunt person. We're going to hunt of the week. Okay. Right. That's fine. Yeah. But, Go to this planet, wrap up our story and get back on our ship. All right. I guess. But, but the world building it was able to do when you get through to the end of going like, wow, I'm, I'm seeing something new in a living, breathing Star Wars universe because my right. brother said this to me the other day. Star Wars isn't isn't a story that you can put in a bunch of different genres. Star Wars is a genre in and of itself. He said so. <laughs> yeah. Star Wars is made up of samurai films and you know silly fantasy romance and space opera and um, western, but it's all of those things mixed into one. So by someone just doing a western star wars they're not changing the genre it fits because star wars yeah. is a western you know yeah they're just showing you more of that part yeah you know, and it was always han solo was always kind of the gunslinger you know outlaw character but you never got to see that world lived in the way you do in the mandalorian the same way like you know some of the cartoons explore the more silly droids and creatures aspect of it that you see a little bit of in like the cantina or in the prequels that you then get fleshed out in these series that they do. Like, I mean, I didn't really get into clone wars, but I love rebels. Yes. Just, I think it's such good storytelling and it is different and it is more of that youthful, hopeful tone that I think is more like episode four and a little bit the prequels where it's a younger kind of more whimsical version of the the fantasy element and it doesn't really feel like a western at all but it works like you're saying it's all genres star wars is a genre yeah i'm, I'm hoping for the movies coming up and i was saying this to my brother yesterday i'm hoping that if they even if they are just going to continue episodic films and the next one becomes episode 10 and it's whatever new thing whatever they're going to do they should not tell anyone they're doing that until you see the credits roll on the movie the ad campaign oh, that'd be great should just be we're making a star wars film like that would because, be great because it would allow for films like the last jedi which i love but that people saw such a tonal imbalance that they got angry about it even though i think it fits in perfect it would allow for more things like that you know and and hearing that taika waititi is making a, a star wars oh, movie so excited blown away i'm so excited for that and i really hope it is like a one off like one of my favorite Star Wars movies is Rogue One because yeah. it's self-contained. It did its own thing. It's much more of a war movie, like an actual Star War. And it's this like heist caper with these characters. And you don't know because it's not tied into the main story. You don't know who's going to live, who's going to die, who's important. And they don't have to worry about being like, well, we're going to show you how C-3PO got his red arm because it's a prequel to that. And that's what fans want. They just did a movie set in that world so i really hope taika's movie is like that where it's new characters and new worlds that we haven't seen before i'm really excited that that disney um stuck with taika because i remember with um uh what's it called there jojo rabbit coming out they were terrified over the type yeah, of everybody press was bring yeah and it was so good granted it's it's a hard tonal tightrope to walk, but that movie is such an uplifting movie when you when you let it take you for the journey that it's going on. But that's totally. a tough subject matter, man. And I'm glad that Disney had the had the balls to stick with him through that and that they're giving him all this work, you know? Yeah. I can only hope that he can come up with a weird world that's like the Jojo Rabbit world, but set in Star Wars. Can you imagine if there was like a a young kid who had Darth Vader as an imaginary friend. Oh my God. And, I mean, that's basically what Kylo Ren is, but in a comedy. <laughs> oh yeah. I so want great. that now. I'm I not going to be living a world without that existing now. Like, cause that's what the force ghosts are, right? Like Yoda <laughs> is Luke's imaginary friend <laughs> that no one else can see. Oh, Yoda. <laughs> so great. Oh man. So, so, um, this is great, man. I, I wanted to say, uh, you know, without focusing on something, I'm sure that's a bit of a bummer for you. Um, when we last talked, 
you know, you had just started that shift of, hey, we thought we were done with our movie, and then Bend Oregon became the last blockbuster in the world. So then it's like oh, the yeah. movie takes on a whole new life. And since that time talking to you, of course, all kinds of crazy things have happened. But uh, yes, if you could give me a little bit, and again, I don't want to blow anything that that's a secret for the movie. I know Sandy hasn't even seen the movie fully yet, which is awesome to me. I can't. Yeah, I can't, we I, asked her. She wanted to see it, and she said she's okay waiting for the premiere. That's what she told me. Kudos to her. I would want to see it if it was about me. Yeah, I'm. I'm hoping. You know, I, I never know what the world's going to take. But if if July really does happen and that premieres, I may have to try to convince myself to drop money and fly out for it because I need to see this movie, dude. Uh, yeah. Well, on the plus side, your flight will be fifteen dollars. Right. Right. But. Um, but I was going to say, take me through if, if you've gotten any, you know, interest stories or just, you know, since, since we last talked, you know, that, that big upheaval that happened with the shift of the movie and, you know, pick it up, Scott in the nineties had just come out. So you've, you've been a busy guy, but you know, what brings us to today as far as the, the story of that movie? Um, well, if, definitely, if you... Yeah. Some real life things happened. Right. And it, it's, it's hard to kind of skate around the fact that it's such a public story so you know as of right now you know the store is still open everybody knows the store is still open it was just on jimmy kimmel they were talking about how the store is still open so there's no like surprise ending will they close or will they stay open at least not right now so um that is part of it and we followed kind of the the publicity hype that sandy kind of became this pseudo celebrity all over the news and everything which is great you know for her and for the movie it's like a lovely you know character arc i always think of it as a movie that we wrote kind of like a a narrative film like we've got these underdogs and then they you know they outlast the corporate giant and they become this this weird pop culture icon of you know a, a simpler time or a better time so that arc has always been part of it and obviously is still a huge part of the story of the store and of Sandy. Um, and then as far as finishing the movie, I mean, we were doing a lot of stuff in post. There's still, you know, music that hasn't been cleared and things like that, that unfortunately because of the pandemic, a lot of things have slowed down just because, you know, lawyers and publicists and agents and the people who need to sign off on things are working from home and maybe their kids are around and everything takes just a little bit longer. So I wish I could say it's a hundred percent done, but we still have some T's to cross and I's to dot, which, you know, thankfully our premiere got postponed. Hopefully it still happens, but um, yeah, story-wise it's, it's still an optimistic story about what happened to Blockbuster Video and how that affected this small town store. It, it was cool to hear Sandy talk about, you know, how, it, you know, the, the Tishers there owning UPS stores as well. It, yeah. it was a means like that, that business is booming. So they right. were able to you know, keep paying people and everything, even though with Blockbuster, it was unsure if they'd even be able to open the doors, you know, let alone anything else. And it, it's just so, it's such an amazing story and it gets better every time I talk to her. Yeah, I love it. And we're not, I mean, obviously we've been done filming for a while and we've been editing, so we, we can't really cover the pandemic part of it in the movie, but also that would be such a tonal shift yes. to go, you know, and the movie was made in all honesty before this happened. And we look at all media now, at least I do watching TV and movies that were made before this is different and in the future yeah. it's going to be different and it's like pre 9-11 and post 9-11 where things are different like i was watching a tv show yesterday and they were on a crowded subway and somebody sneezed and the the visceral reaction to that is so different than what the filmmakers intended because yeah. at the time that was just kind of gross and inconvenient but now <laughs> It's like you could have just had him with a bomb strapped to his chest and it would have been the same effect. So Yeah, holy crap. Wasn't even thinking of that. So making a documentary right now, we're basically having to say it's done, it's locked. 
we can't. It is great what the store is doing, and I'm I love talking about how they're managing to stay open during this. But that's that's separate because you know it's not part of, of their twenty year story. Of course, and it gives it gives a good um you know when your movie comes out it gives a good uh, thing to go. Hey, you want to know more? You can check out Chris Chipman's two episodes that covered it. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, there's there's definitely room for an epilogue or even a sequel of like, you know, maybe they do become a museum or whatever everyone keeps telling them. I'm hoping they stay a blockbuster video for 20 more years because Me too. it's a, Me a beacon too. of hope for a bygone era. It is. It's, it, it's just a reminder of it's. It's a reminder of something that I think everybody took for granted until it wasn't there anymore. And it took a yes. few years for people to realize. And, and even now, you know, that the, po- the picture of that billboard that, that she had put up showed up on Reddit last night. She sent me a message because her and I had just stopped talking. She goes, well, you know how I told you you would have been one of the first people to share my photo? Well, go check out Reddit. And yeah. the it's Reddit, on the front page of Reddit. <laughs> the Reddit thing has exploded and it's yeah. amazing. Because I'd say three quarters of the posts are, when is this poster from? Because Blockbuster doesn't exist anymore. Right. It's like, even with so many people that know about The Last Store, this dro- dropping this movie, you know, has has the potential to, you know, I mean, it's already becoming huge, you know, like, but with Project 88, you're going to get people that are going to go, wait a minute, what? Like, yeah. is this a joke? That is, that is a huge thing. I'm constantly... Like people tag me in Twitter posts and Facebook posts and Instagram posts that are like talking about how there are no more blockbusters. And I always get tagged and I always go in and I comment, well, there's one and here's, you know, watch our movie trailer because I'm surprised with how much hype it's gotten that there's still so many people that don't know that there's still one left. Right. Or they have the wrong information because they were, they remember when Alaska was some of the last. And everybody yeah, a lot like, of people think when we say there's one left, they say, oh, yeah, right. The one in Alaska. I'm like, well, no, but you're close. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's nuts because and I get when I wear the shirt, I have a couple of shirts and a sweatshirt from from Sandy that I bought. And, you know, I wear them and it says right on the back, the last store on the planet. And they go, oh, that's a funny shirt. You know, it would be funny if there actually was one left. I get it. Huh? That's tongue in cheek. And I go, no, no, right. no, no, no. It literally is. They go, what do you mean? Isn't that shirt like 10 years old? They go, no, I bought this a month ago. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I have a, a sticker on my car and people, even around here in Oregon, people don't know. Like I still run into people in Bend that don't know we have the last blockbuster in the world, which is crazy to me. Wow. Because they don't advertise that much here in town. I guess now with the billboard, but the billboard doesn't say the last blockbuster in the world is here in Bend. It just says, call Blockbuster, here's the number. No, so. it, it's such a subtle, even though it's giant, and you know, and it, 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 it's a great way of doing it because when you look at it at first, it's like, it's really well designed because it's like the only thing that says Blockbuster is Ryan's shirt, right? you know? And then it's, it, it's so you have to kind of look at it for a minute and go, oh, oh, that's cute. I like that. All right, maybe I will call. And I, I hope... Um, she was saying that it's part of some bigger plan. She's got like a social media thing that that's part of. And I'm, I'm excited for her and Ryan, whatever that is. That yeah, that's yeah, exciting. Really- they're, doing, they're doing a big PR thing. I think that it's a bummer because I think it was planned before all this. So they're having to kind of shift the way it rolls yeah. out. And that, I mean, same with the movie, same with everything. Everything that was in the works three months ago has changed. And that's yeah. just true for everybody. So it is exciting. It's a little bit weird for Blockbuster because, you know, right now more than ever, people are turning to streaming and don't want to go to a building and touch things. So yep. it's a hard sell right now. But I think as soon as this is over, there's nothing people are going to want more than to go to a place and talk to people about movies and rent a DVD and talk about it because that's a thing that we're all missing right now. And what a perfect time for the for the movie to drop, right? Is it because it's people are gonna want you mean I can go on vacation somewhere cool. I've wanted to go on vacation for a while. 
I can go to a blockbuster. You, I mean, that they were already getting people showing up for that reason, right? Oh yeah, and I think yeah, this from all over the world. Spark, that's just going to spark everybody wants some some cool destination to go to, right? And yeah, I mean, look at the people that travel to get, get the McDonald's spaghetti that's left in like Ohio or Idaho or wherever it is, right? <laughs> yeah. No, it is exactly that. There's, there's still at least until they had to close down or quasi close down. There were still people coming from all over the world and all over the country. In fact, if there was going to be a virus outbreak here in Bend, <laughs> this probably would have been around Blockbuster because of its huge tourist destination thing. Fortunately, that didn't happen, and now nobody's coming from out of town. But uh, it's. It's a magnet. It's it's one of those things. It's the world's largest ball of twine or whatever, you know. Yeah. It's something you can't. I'm surprised they don't have more billboards out on the main freeway that say, you know, 200 miles to the world's last blockbuster, 100 miles to the world's last blockbuster, because that would be practical. People would come. They would. You'd, you'd get so many people just on the. Oh, we happen to be driving you know, between California and Washington or you or, or Canada or whatever. Like, Oh, well, what, what? Oh, we got to yeah. go there. Yeah. Or I'm one I, of those suckers I, that stops at those roadside attractions. So mm-hmm. I would 100% do it. I've seen the world's largest frying pan in North Carolina. Nice. It's huge. Nice. <laughs> and it works. It's outside the mayor's office and they like have like a big chicken fry twice a year. Oh, that's fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh man, so dude, it's always a blast to talk to you. I, uh, I it's getting about the end of my lunch break, but I wanted to give you a chance. Obviously, we've promoted a bunch of stuff, but tell tell people things that you want to tell them right now, good sir. Well, I hope everybody you know gets a chance to go on YouTube and watch Project Eighty Eight. It's up there for free, and just search for Project Eighty Eight or Back to the Future Two, which is T O O Back to the Future also. Um, <laughs> you can go on there and watch that and it's a blast and uh, you know the last blockbuster is coming soon hopefully quote unquote and we've been saying that for years now and we're, we're trying our best but uh, lastblockbustermovie.com has the trailer which we recently finished and we're very proud of and uh, hopefully I mean that'll be the website to go to for release information once we have it so we're still planning on the July 17th premiere in Bend. It's, it's, I would give it a 50-50 chance. Yep. Tickets are available, but I, you know, obviously we'll refund them if it doesn't happen. So if you're going to be in Bend in July, definitely come hang out. Hopefully we'll figure out a way to do it safely. But uh, I feel really weird trying to promote in-person events right now. So yep. more, more online. And Pick It Up Sky in the 90s is on Amazon and uh, Vimeo for rent. You can check that out from the comfort of your couch right now. Oh, it's and it's such a good watch. It, it, everyone listening to this, if, if you hear the word ska and don't know what Taylor and I are talking about, watch the movie. I'd say there's probably an 80% chance you've heard of one of the bands in this movie. And we're probably a big fan of them when you were younger and just forget. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's no way you've never heard ska. There's a strong chance you don't know what that word means, but there's no way you've never heard it. Awesome, Taylor. It, it's been a blast. And, you know, for, for those, I, I never didn't get to touch on how amazing, I, I told Sandy this, how great that new poster that you and Zeke have brought out for the last blockbuster is. It has that, like, <laughs> it has that, like, Drew Struzan, like, drawn kind of thing. And you've got Kevin Smith and all the other And then yeah. right top of all of it is a larger than life Sandy Harding like I am the star of this thing and it's so cool oh she is yeah we can't we can't legally use a poster like that because we just google image searched all the people of course. so we're, we're calling it fan art but uh yeah just I love those kind of posters like the Star Wars posters and the the old 80s like the Stranger Things does it too where they do the all the big faces so you can see all the characters because I love the cast of our movie so much like we got so many amazing hilarious people in it like to me that's what one of the things i love most about it and sandy is the star of the show so the poster just made sense to me it's so cool well you know from 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 a fan and also through talking to your friend dude 
thank you for everything you're doing and thank you for joining me. Um, I really appreciate it here. Any chance we get, I know that, uh, I know that it, it's better to get to talk to people right now, but you, you know, you've, you got a lot of people you can talk to and I, and I really appreciate it, man. Uh, I appreciate you having me on, man. It's, it's great to talk to anybody in this time, but especially, you know, you who have so many of the same interests and we love all the same things. So it's, it's really fun. I'm going to go check out some of those movies you mentioned earlier. Of course. And if you, uh, when, when the world does open back up and if you, if you come with the last blockbuster to the Boston area, um, I'd, I'd like to know about it long in advance so I can either be there or, you know, help you promote it and put it on or introduce it or something. Cause I, I am just in love with this whole concept and just want to be, want to be there for all the fun. This <laughs> yeah. is really God, I hope I hope we can do some kind of theatrical run. I, I, I doubt it, but man, it would be cool. We did it with the last movie, and it was there's nothing more fun than seeing a movie like this in a theater with a bunch of people who also love it. Of course, well, maybe there'll be a new world of group watches or something. You can live tweet it. <laughs> yes, at the very least, we'll come up with something like that with live Q and As and some special guests and things like that. Cool, man. Well, I won't keep you any longer. Um, guys, this has been Chris and Taylor Morton, director of The Last Blockbuster and Project 88, and Pick It Up, and a whole bunch of other awesome things. Spanning America, coming to you from Oregon to Boston. Um, thank you all for making it a Talkbuster night or day, and please be kind. Rewind. Have a good one, guys.